host, Dmitry Filipovich. Welcome to the Hockey PDO cast. My name is Dmitry Filipovich, and joining me is my buddy Rob Pizzola. Rob, what's going on, man? Still depressed after that Leafs uh, exit in Game 5. I, I love the hockey playoffs so much. I'll, you know, I'll continue watching the remainder of them, but when you actually have a team in the mix, it just it just hits different, right? You're looking forward to that game all day, the the tension, the vibes, everything about it. So really, really disappointed right now. Yeah, I was going to ask you how you're feeling after a couple of days now. We had the weekend to, to recuperate a little bit. It really is a a monkey paw situation, right? Where I'm sure you were like, I just want to, just, I just wanted to win a round finally, and then as soon as it happens, I guess you didn't you didn't consider the fallout of what would happen after that. It's the manner in which the things happened and how it unfolded, starting from the we want Florida chance by the fans that are obviously going to be uh, used against the, you know, the fan base for a long time when a, a select few people decided that that would be a good idea. Um, and also the fact that you know, I understand the randomness of hockey and, and random variants and so on and so forth. I, I bet on hockey for a living. I've done this for a long time. And Sometimes you play well and things just don't go your way. And for me, it's easy to accept that. For most fan bases, it's just not. It's like a results-driven um, mm-hmm. business. And, you know, I thought the Leafs were lucky to win round one against Tampa Bay. Three overtime wins. I thought Tampa Bay was pretty good in that series. Toronto didn't generate a whole ton. And then they win. And everyone's celebrating. It got over the hump. Then I thought they actually played a pretty decent series against Florida, but they lose 4-1. Sergei Bobrovsky, nine goals saved above expected in five games in the series. What are you going to do? I mean, that's that's just sports for me personally. That's not the way people receive it, though. It's kind of, yeah, I've I've been thinking a lot about this and having conversations with with people for a while now, but especially this postseason where, I mean, the league, maybe not, itself but in terms of i guess it doesn't do itself any favors in this regard and then fans take it as such like it it demeans the regular season so much right it almost it 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 just doesn't matter it's like it's kind of viewed as just a stepping stone to get to the playoffs and then we always talk about how oh playoff hockey is so different than regular season hockey well that also means that your accomplishments from those first 82 games are almost thrown out the window. And in fact, if you wind up either having a historic regular season in terms of success or winning the president's trophy and then falling short in round one, it's almost viewed as an even worse fate than if you had been a mediocre regular season team and then you lost in round one because that's what you were supposed to do. And so it's it's bizarre. And it, it extends beyond that as well, where if you win a round or two, I remember last year, you know, the Oilers finally get over a bit of a hump themselves, right? They win that series against the Kings. Then they then they throttle the Flames in four straight games to win round two. And then they wind up getting swept by a clearly and objectively superior Avalanche team, which went on to win the Cup. And at that point, I mean, it was tough to, to hold it against Connor McDavid himself just because he had performed so admirably. But for the most part, it was viewed as like, oh, well, they got swept by the Avs, so who cares? And, and almost everything they had done prior to that point was was nullified or kind of overshadowed in a way the challenge is these regular seasons that these teams have create this expectation that we can win it and that's what the fan base sees and anything short of being able to being you know actually winning it um is a failure in, in everyone's eyes but when you look at the betting markets right use a betting markets as an example heading into mm-hmm. the playoffs there's like a pretty you know decent dispersion of teams that are in like this probability range of five to 10% to win it. 
and one of them is going to do it, the rest are going to fail. I think the average fan views their chance of winning the Stanley Cup when they get into the playoffs as much higher than it actually is in reality. Like if you were to pull a fan of every single fan base when their team gets into the playoffs and ask them, what percentage chance do you give your team of winning the cup? It's always going to come in higher than the betting market. And that creates this, this expectation, this false expectation, which leads to this disappointment. And then to the chatter afterwards of, you know, we got to blow it up. We got to make this change. Got to get a goalie, trade our star players, do this, do that. And it's pretty overreactionary when you just consider the fact that like, it's a, it's a, it's a pretty even league. You know, the disparity mm. between these teams is not a whole lot. A few breaks one way or another over the course of five games or six games or seven games is nothing. That's that's like that's variance to the highest level. So I I mean, it's still disappointing. Like I'm I'm a diehard Leafs fan. I've I've lived through the disappointment. I've seen you know years and years of, of the struggles. I would I'd love nothing more than for the Leafs to win the cup, but they get in the playoffs and I give them like a 9% chance of winning the cup. They're going to lose the 91% of the time. And I know that going in and I can reconcile with that. Most people can't. Well, you kind of mentioned the, those sort of expectations and maybe perception of versus what the actual reality is. I'm curious for your take on, you know, we've had conversations in the past about, um, betting like individual games or individual series versus taking a, a more longer term futures look and just going for purely Stanley cup picks as a postseason goes along. We know kind of like a style makes a fight, right? You're like depending on which opponent you play. And this is going to come up as we talk more about the Leafs and sort of their two matchups in, in, in this postseason. you're going to face different challenges, right? Stylistically, or certain teams are going to have different strengths and weaknesses accordingly. So that's going to dictate maybe how you fare, but do, do you think that, we should be putting more stock into what's happened previously in in the postseason as it's happening in terms of results or um, kind of process in a round one and then boiling that more into expectations for round two and then round three and so on and so forth? Or do you kind of view them as isolated events in a way, barring some sort of, you know, catastrophic injury where a star player gets hurt and then obviously we should adjust our expectations. But do you, like, how do you kind of, track that progress throughout a postseason for a team as they face different opponents and and sort of trying to keep in mind like how they looked along the way because obviously all that matters is that you win in advance right but i still think we, we like to kind of you know look take a bigger picture view of the process and be like oh well you know they outshot this team they outchanced them they certainly looked the part and that gives you more confidence that they actually deserve to win and so when they get into the next round we say all right now we should factor that into our decision as opposed to if you squeak by and around and you maybe don't look the best, whether that should impact how we feel about your next, your next matchup. This one's one that I've wrestled with for a long time because you don't, you don't get this happening in the regular season where you play the same team five, six times in a row. And potentially that team could be a bad stylistic matchup for you and make you look worse than you really are. Um, so I, I approach each series more independently of one another um, I don't know that that's right or wrong. I've done a lot of experimentation with the playoffs, but typically speaking, I think this is the right way to go about it. But then you do get into scenarios like, and I, I hate to you know turn this into the you know Leafs PDO cast, but essentially, I thought Florida would be a great matchup for the Leafs yeah, because too. you know you watch a couple games against Tampa, you're like, there's no open ice here, right? Tampa's clogging the neutral zone. Leafs can't figure out a way to to get any zone entries. You're going to get Florida. It's going to be much more open. 
Florida takes a ton of penalties in the regular season. Leafs will get to work on the power play. Toronto has a goaltending advantage. We can get to that in a second. Going into the series as well with Samsonov against uh, Bobrovsky. And I'm like, you know, I, I was pretty excited for that. Game one, 50-50. Game two, Leafs take it to them. They can't, you know, they can't score, can't win. And all of a sudden you're down to nothing going out on the road and the series is, you know, is pretty, pretty challenging. But I, I, you know, again, I always bring it back to, to small samples, right? Mm. Like if the Leafs played Florida in a best of 31, I'd be very confident that the Leafs would win that series. Best of seven, different story. Um, and there is so much more randomness in the postseason, especially once we start to get into like games five, six, seven, fewer penalties, less open ice. And people who watch the games, like uh, this, this is no, you know, no excuse for the Leafs, but like interference in the regular season gets called in the playoffs. You dump it in from center ice, guys taking you out of the play and riding you in the boards for five seconds before you can get in the zone. It's just not going to get called. It's a different game. And it makes it it tightens the disparity between the teams in the postseason and makes everything more of a crapshoot than in the regular season. So that's why you tend to see these runs in the playoffs. But I, I try to treat the, the, each of these series individually because I, I do think that there is something to Styles making fights in the mm -hmm. playoffs, but there are also outside elements and how the how it's officiated and and just the luck factor as well. Yeah, the reason why I asked I asked that and I was very curious for your take on it is because I think it does apply to the situation where I, I can, you know, we made a lot in the media throughout the season of, well, Leafs Lightning is locked into a round one matchup since what, early November, essentially, um, after the start the Bruins got off to. And while we made a lot of that, I, I feel pretty confident in saying that the Leafs themselves knew that that's all that mattered, right? It was like, okay, we have to beat the Lightning in round one. And then every, everything else after, like, we'll deal with it. And, and, and you know, uh, baking in the Bruins as well in terms of a potential round two matchup to, to kind of decide the Atlantic. And so I, I do think they legitimately spent the past, what, four or five months just investing every single resource they had from uh, how they remade their roster at the trade deadline to their actual game planning. And we made a lot of sort of how they totally changed stylistically in in round one, right, where they, they started funneling shots from the point and trying to get traffic in front of Vasilevsky and had success doing so. And that ran so counter to everything we've seen them do in the past four or five years as a team. And so it worked in that sense. It was mission accomplished, right? Kind of back to the monkey paw thing where it's like, all we wanted to do was beat this one team and we did it. And then you come into a matchup where I, I don't think they expected to play a team like the Panthers. Not that this excuses it, of course. And, and there's a lot of other variables as well, but I don't really think they like left themselves with the right kind of auxiliary pieces, I guess, as a team to prepare for whatever challenges a team like the Panthers might provide because stylistically, it's just such a different matchup than the Lightning were, as you mentioned, and even what a round two matchup against the Bruins would have been like. And that's not an excuse. because I think that's actually a failure on their part if that's the case because what if you plan on going on an extended playoff run, you're certainly going to bump into different kinds of opponents with different strengths and weaknesses, and you need to be prepared for such. You can't just necessarily be like, well, we're going to craft a team to beat one specific type of team and hope to win a cup that way because that's just not how the NHL postseason works. So I, I'll take issue with one thing that you said there because you said it worked against Tampa. And see, that's where I challenge it because it worked in the sense that they won the series, right? right. And they prepared all this time. Kyle Dubas makes all the trades. 
Ryan O'Reilly, Nola Chari, Luke Shen, like beefing up the lineup, Sam Lafferty playing, you know, tougher brand of hockey. But I actually think that was counterintuitive for them, honestly. And, and re- really, I think I think they just won a coin flip against Tampa Bay, right? They won three overtime games. And you see what happens when they lose two overtime games in the next round. Just lost, lost a couple coin flips in that situation. I thought the Leafs played a hell of a lot better in round one last year against Tampa Bay, playing the type of game that they play consistently. And they went into the playoffs saying, you know what, worked for us in the regular season. We're going balls to the wall. Same same type of play. And they ultimately lose the series, but they outplay Tampa. Yeah. You look at even Steven Stamkos' you know, post-series comments this year, it was like, yeah, you know, great team. They got over the hump, but like I thought we played better against them this year than we did last year. And I didn't, I don't think he was wrong. I mean, I was very uncomfortable watching that series as a Leafs fan this year, um, relative to last season, but they win. And like now it's like, okay, they they did it right. It's like there's some sort of acknowledgement that they did it right. And that was my biggest issue for the Leafs this postseason, is I found that they they played and catered to their opponent a little bit too much. And I don't think that they were quick enough to adjust. Um, You look at game four against the Panthers, right? That game four against the Panthers, which the Leafs won, by the way, people will will call it their best effort of the playoffs, a game where they lost expected goals. Um, Essentially, they just blocked a ton of shots and really, really collapsed in front of the net. And in the offensive zone, they played a lot of 2-3, with um, one of the forwards always staying high so mm-hmm. that they could prevent these odd man rushes. That's not Leafs hockey at all. They won that game, but I found that this series in particular, once they went down 0-2 playing that style of play, where you know, their regular season style of play, they're like, this is not working for us. And I think that was very results-based analysis rather than just keep going with it. I think they would have been best off to trade chances with Florida as much as possible, play their brand of hockey, up-tempo. Um, you know, uh, there's other things I, I could call into question for the entire series, and, the, and, and in particular the way Sheldon Keefe handled some things. But I don't, I don't know that, you know, I don't know what the path forward is for this team now because it, it, adding all the grit, in theory, a lot of people say this worked. For, you know, they won around. I'm not sure that they necessarily needed to do that, honestly. And I, I think when you're the better team, you have to impose your will and your brand of hockey on the other team rather than conforming to what the other team is going to do and trying to counter that. Well, I feel like especially when you are a favorite heading in, right, whether it is based on the regular season or the betting market or just how the perception is of the series, right? I think everyone would have both for round one, but certainly in round two would have positioned the Leafs as a favorite in that matchup. Right. And I'm, I'm right there with you where uh, I did a preview with Thomas Trance before the series. And I was noting, like, I, I think this is a much better stylistic matchup for the Leafs than a Bruins team would have been beyond just the fact that they were so much better in the regular season. I just feel like there's going to be so much more space here. The Leafs top players are finally going to be able to really just break out offensively and, and capitalize on these chances. And we can talk more about how that didn't happen and why that's probably why we got to this outcome. But I don't know. Like I, I, I kind of regret a little bit not being higher on Florida heading into the series, acknowledging that you know it was essentially whatever four or five coin flips in this series, and they happened to win four of them. Um, 
that's kind of how the playoffs go, right? Could have easily said Lightning were the better team in four or five games in round one as well, and they lost four of them, and that's just how it works. I had major concerns pretty much since the deadline about the direction the Leafs had gravitated towards from a roster construction perspective and sort of the way they were choosing to play. And in round one, I think it reinforced that in all the wrong ways because they did get those results, and so we celebrated it, right? It was like, oh, they're finally creating goals through net front traffic and tips and all this stuff that they haven't been able to do in the past. And this is paying dividends. This is why they made these moves. And then in this matchup against Florida, the fact that they were able to kind of, you know, get stuck in the mud sometimes lacked in particular left wing talent, right? That stuff hurt them here. And I think that was a massive mistake and miscalculation on their part. I imagine, you know, they thought, all right, well, Matthew Nice is going to come in and he's going to solve that whole that that problem for us. And he certainly looked excellent when he played, like, don't get me wrong. But, and it stinks that he got hurt and especially the way he did. But if your entire plan hinges completely on a 20-year-old jumping straight from the NCAA and being like, all right, as long as there's no injuries to anyone else, we're going to be fine. That's a poorly conceived plan, right? That's not how the postseason works, especially if you are going to go on an extended run. And so, I don't know, you can talk about the 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 kind of oversight, not leveraging that Bruins first rounder they got for Sandine into arming themselves another player and instead having to rely on Bunting and Yarncroak and Kerfoot as their top left wingers. All of that kind of came back to hurt them here. And it was, while it was a bit fluky from they probably shouldn't have lost four or five games, it also wasn't like, whoa, this is totally out of left field as well. And that kind of, that's been bugging me since personally because I feel like I should have been a bit harder on that. And instead I got... I kind of like lost track of the plot a little bit in terms of trying to prognosticate kind of how this would work out. Well, it's, it's definitely not a perfect roster construction. I, I do think that if you look at the Leafs on paper this year relative to last, I like the roster a lot more going into the playoffs. But there's certain things like it's really hard to say because I was not a big fan of a lot of these trades at the deadline. But I was one of those fans that definitely was of the opinion of well, you know what? A lot of the things we've done in the past with this group of players hasn't worked. Shake it up a little bit. Let's see what happens. I'm fine with that. A guy like Luke Chen, for example, I thought he was fantastic in the first mm-hmm. round against Tampa Bay. I thought he was a liability against Florida. Um, you know, guy like Ryan O'Reilly didn't, you know, he had some big goals in the playoffs. He, you know, that tying goal in round one against Tampa as well, but just never really imposed himself fully Sam Lafferty, few goals here and there, but he was on the on the ice for the overtime goal uh, that the Panthers scored in Game Three, where basically player just blew block by him at the blue line. So, and a lot of these didn't really work out overall. And and to your point about Nyes, like if you're banking on that, you're just gambling at that point, right? Mm-hmm. If you're banking on Nyes is going to come in the lineup and be the guy that we saw, it's just a pure gamble, right? No one knew that for sure. I do think that injury was massive for the Leafs, though, because. Frankly, outside of Marner and Nylander, I think he was their best winger afterwards, um, probably on the bunting level at that point. And and not having him in the lineup just really threw things off. But there were some questionable things too, like a guy like Rasmus Sandin, right? Unloading him for a first rounder, bringing Gustafson in. I'm not sure that that trade needed to happen. And I I question why it even did. Is is Sandin not a a guy that he thought he could rely on going into the playoffs, undersized? I, I look at this series against Florida and I'm like, Sandine would have been a huge asset in this type of series, right? Being able to move the puck quickly against a forecheck like that. Um, and too many times the Leafs decor just like fumbled it up. You could see Giordano was, you know, he's 
guy's what 40 years old now is he's he's lacking in terms of pace TJ mm-hmm. Brody uncharacteristic TJ Brody didn't give the puck away in the regular season in the playoffs you put any pressure on the guy all of a sudden you know he's a walking turnover machine as well and definitely you know at, at its core I can they definitely have some roster flaws with that said they played well enough to win the second round they were the favorites to win the Stanley Cup after round one is a solid team top to bottom maybe we're just nitpicking is what it comes down to in my opinion yes yeah i mean the i think the sandine one kind of embodies a lot of their issues though not that necessarily having him would have swung the outcome of a series like this but just the logic that got them there right because i do think they didn't trust them in a matchup against the lightning right and they felt similarly about lilligren and essentially had to get to like a real boiling point to finally insert him into that just because of how poorly Justin Hall had been playing. And so they're like, all right, well, we're not going to need him for this. We're going to move him. I think they also, you know, wanted to do right by the player, right. In terms of like, just finally getting him into a spot where he can play after all of these kind of in and out of the lineup playing less than he probably should based on his underlying numbers and all of that. And, but then the, the problem was you get back that first. And instead of turning around and spinning that into a player that could actually help you now, They just kind of hold on to that. And everything about this year was positioned on, well, we have to not only win a round, but finally have some playoff success. And I don't understand really how the logic of how that helps you accomplish that this year, if you just keep hold on to that first. Right. Um, You know, for all of the quibbles though, about like the lack of left wing talent, I think you mentioned O'Reilly there, how slow their centers are right now. Um, All of those personnel flaws, all of my issues with the direction the team gravitated in stylistically, they still had enough opportunities to overcome it and have a different result in the series if their top players had been able to convert on those opportunities. And I guess this is a good segue for us to talk about that here. And I want to frame it to you through this. I think the state of Leafs analysis right now is incredibly rough. I think like this team is legitimately fascinating to cover um, from the sense of they built a team in a certain direction with flaws, with strengths, of course, as well. And they chose to do so for a specific reason, right? And instead of unpacking what that tells us about team building and where hockey's at in 2023, all we get is the same thousand people covering this team on a day-to-day basis, just choosing to appeal to like the lowest common denominator of analysis in this sport in just like regurgitating headlines from four years ago that might've applied then that don't really have anything to do with what's going on right now. And, and I'm speaking specifically about like, Oh, of course they're, they're, they're just poor defensively. Right. It's, 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 this is the issue. This is why they can't get over the hump in the postseason. And instead, how many years now have we gotten to the point where their seasons on the line and they can't score more than two goals. Mm-hmm. And, and you, you certainly have to be able to win two, one games in the postseason if you want to win a Stanley cup, but it feels like just seeing what's happened to the Leafs over the past four or five years, I just don't understand how we're still at this point where it's being positioned as a defensive failure as opposed to, and not even just blaming the top players, but just, all right, the reason why they're not winning is because they actually can't score enough when it matters most. There's this notion in sports that defense wins championships. It's not just in the NHL, it's across sport. And it's like when the playoffs come, you got to have a good defense. And that's really not the case. Generally speaking, you'd see teams that have offensive firepower just win the stand. Look at Colorado last year. Colorado's not winning with team defense, right? Like Colorado's winning because they can put the puck in the back of the net and they can move. 
you know, I really wrestle with this one a lot because you've had the same core for a while now, for a while now for the Leafs. And to your point, there's been times where they just, they just can't score. They can't put the puck in the net. This series bothered me because I thought they generated a lot, a lot of good opportunities and they didn't score. And yes, ultimately you have to hold those players accountable for not scoring at the end of the day. But can we not just say that the other goalie stole a series or stood on his head? You know, why can we not go to that point? Like these are absurd numbers, right? Bobrovsky's 9.08 goal saved above expected according to evolving hockey in the final. Well, okay. Okay. Let's talk about that. Sure. I I have a big issue with the way stats are being tracked right now in hockey. And we can talk about like specific shot locations and data because I've been tracking every single shot attempt and scoring chance myself in every one of these games. And my totals are wildly different every single game from what the NHL is putting out in terms of that. Like I had in a, in game five of devils hurricanes, right? The closeout game in that series, there was one point where I had Brent Burns with like 16 shot attempts. Mm-hmm. And I looked and natural stature had him at like 11 that, that he'd been recorded for by the NHL. And I was like, that's, that's a pretty massive disparity between the two, right? Like I, I, I that five shots there is, is, is a lot. And I think for goal save above expected right now, I, I get it. It's certainly better than, you know, going with wins as a goalie stat or even goals against average or save percentage. It There's no chance Sergei Bobrovsky saved nine or 10 goal save above expected in that series because, Rob, that would imply that the Leafs scored 10 in, in the five games, right? And let's say he saved another nine. The Leafs are generating a lot of chances. I find it hard to believe that they were generating four expected goals worth of offense per game because that is... That's a pretty massive amount to think about. Game two alone probably really swung it pretty heavily because they had a ton of chances in that game. Um, And probably game five, the one that they lost as well. There was a lot of good opportunities and close looks in tight. They fell to the wrong guy sometimes, like Callie Yarncroke, for example, late in the game as well. Maybe it's exaggerated a little bit. Yeah. Well, I, I mean, he had a 943 save percentage. Like he was obviously very, very good. I just wanted to, I, I just think I saw that goal save above expected number reference. And I just thought that didn't really pass like further scrutiny in my opinion. No, fair enough. I, I, I there's very, it's very possibly way overstated. Let's say that. But I, I thought Bobrovsky was great in the series overall. Yep. And, you know, you let's say both teams had a Bobrovsky in net in that series. I think the Leafs would have won that series quite handily, right? And sometimes that's just the randomness. So, like, who would have expected that over the regular season, right? You talk about all, all the, you know, the people are like, oh, Leafs, Leafs decor, defense is an issue. How many times do we get to the offseason after every year and it's the Leaf, Leafs go out and get yourself a goalie? Like, we haven't had a goalie since Ed Belfour and Curtis Joseph. Let's find ourselves a goalie. And last last year was everyone wanted Mark Andre Fleury in the offseason. Mark Andre Fleury doesn't even finish as a starting goalie for his team. Plays one playoff game, gets shelled. I mean, that wasn't the answer. Now let's look at the goalies that are left in the postseason now, right? And the regular seasons that they had. Sergei Bobrovsky has been horrible for five years. He's been a below, well below average starting goalie for five years. He turns it on in this series. The, the Seattle Kraken are a game away from making the conference finals with Grubauer in net, even the Carolina. Okay. You can say Freddie Anderson's a good goalie. They have depth there. Anti Ranta, uh, Kachetkov, but none of those guys had like a great year. They were okay. They were fine. 
Freddie Anderson had a huge down year, didn't play a ton this season as well. Vegas, Aiden Hill and Laurent Brossois. It's not like these teams are going and getting out these big name goalies that are riding them to the conference finals. They're just getting goaltending when it matters or the opposing team, you know, the, the goalie kind of gets uh, falls apart in the case of like Stuart Skinner in, in, in game six or something like that. But I, I, I don't know, you know, Demetri, it's really hard because I don't, I don't want to be like that fan of like, I'll oh, run it back, run it back, run it back. Like you get to a point where you, you got, you got the same similar roster construction and it doesn't work, but I'm not sure there's great alternatives. Like the people who just want to go out and oh, we Marner trade him for whatever you can. If you get 60 cents on the dollar, go and trade him because he's not a playoff performer. Well, I don't agree. I mean, the guy had what 13, 14 points in the playoffs. They just happened to come in a shorter span in round one and not in round two. You could, you could like, you can sequence those a lot differently, and it would look like a completely different postseason for him, right? Are people going to get on Leon Drysaddle because he di- he didn't score the last few games in that series? Like, how how does this how does this work if you just go dry for a small period of time? And ultimately, I think these are good hockey. I think Austin Matthews, Mitch Marner, William Nylander, to a, a John Tavares is overpaid, but he's a good hockey player. And I think to some extent, you just kind of got to give these guys the leash and, and keep going and, and just continue to bring in a few new faces here and there. I'm kind of at a loss, but it, I, I just don't get the whole blowing everything up type of angle. No. And to the Bobrovsky point, I like, I just, I wanted to have be able to do a bit of a rant there on goal sale about expected just because I think, and, and if you compare like the regular season, like there was something really wonky going on this season. If you compared the regular season numbers on any site you want to use publicly to even some of the, the privately tracked stuff, it was just completely different. Like it was night and day. And, and a lot of it was wildly exaggerated, right? It was like this goalie stopped 40 goals save above expected this season. And then the private stuff had him at like 17, which was still yep. amongst the league leaders. And it just that like, I think that distorts perception maybe sometimes. Right. And, and it bugs me as well. When you see people cite natural statric scoring chance totals, and it's like this team had 45 scoring chances today. And it's like, I have never seen a game where a team had 45 scoring chances. If right. you get into the twenties, you're doing something really well. And the Leafs had that a couple of times in the series. You're never getting that high. And I think that distorts perception of what's happening in these games and how we describe them. Right. But Bobrovsky, I mean, not only the, whatever his goal save expected was 943 save percentage, the mind blowing thing to me, if we, if we want to talk a little bit about trends this postseason, I don't know what was going on in round two. And maybe it speaks to the quality of goalies that were, kind of left around after everyone that got eliminated in round one, but 22 round two games in the NHL postseason this year, in 12 of them, a goalie was replaced. Now, two of them were were injuries, right? Samsonov got hurt and uh, and Lauren Brussois got hurt early in the game as well. But 10 times, the team switched goalies, partly because they were playing poorly, maybe partly to, as a motivation tactic to try to get their team back in the game or whatever. And the one goalie that never got pulled was Sergei Bobrovsky, who, when this Panthers team's you know, season was on the line in the regular season, right? They were on the brink of complete failure of winning the president's trophy and then completely missing the playoffs. The Penguins certainly collapsed and that helped them a little bit, but they also relied on a third stringer to play all these games, even when Bobrovsky was healthy and ready to play for them. And then now he comes back and does this. And and that kind of, I guess, brings us back to the point of not only luck and randomness, but also goalies and, and putting too much stock into it and kind of how that whether they save the puck or not, I guess, distorts our perception of of how the teams played or who was deserving of the result. Yeah, I mean, it, it, it's 
the the NHL, the playoffs in particular, right? I used to be very dismissive of a lot of these things because the math guy in me is like, these are all small samples, right? 22 games, you got 10 goalie pulls due to uh, actual performance rather than injury. Well, I mean, there's going to be some small percentage, you know, probability where that's just going to happen over a 22 game sample. And it might've just happened now, but as time has got, gone on, I start to think about it a little bit more and more. And I mean, it does feel like it's been pretty hectic, like condensed schedule for, for playoffs and, and the regular season this year. And, and, you know, guys could potentially just be beat down at this point um, with a lot of these, especially in the end of the year, like playoff races actually mattering for a lot of these teams and positioning, positioning actually mattering for a lot of these teams. I don't know necessarily what it is in particular, but you know, what really bothers me um, is just like a lot of the the narrative based stuff that's really not supported by fact in the postseason or people that just run with these these little small samples and say oh you got to do this and it's like well you know this the recipe you're talking about here didn't work last season or the year before that or the year before that it's working now and you're reacting to the fact that it's working now but that hasn't been the case and that type of stuff kills me but to go out and get a goalie it's like Okay, Bobrovsky is not a goalie. Like if you if you ask, like if you're doing a draft right at the beginning of the playoffs with all the teams that are in the playoffs, where's Bobrovsky getting drafted amongst the goalies? Well, not Going high in, by the Panthers because considering they didn't even play him in the first what three games. But, but not high by anyone really. Yeah. Like, like this is what I'm talking about. So it's like you know, it's everything is so reactionary, right? It's it's okay. We get stonewalled by a goalie our goaltending is not good enough. It's like, well, guess what? Florida did not think their goaltending was good enough coming into the playoffs either. And it just happened to work out. Now, is it the quality of shots? Is it the something the Leafs are doing? I'll say as watching watching the games, right? I thought what Bobrovsky did really well was he got out of his crease and he really cut down angles. Mm-hmm. And the Leafs, for some reason, I don't know if this was coached, I've never coached in the NHL or worked for a team, but it looked often like they were shooting at his pads intentionally with the hope of generating a rebound or a second look. And it worked for them in some games and in others, he was able to direct those rebounds to, to safe spots or the defense would clear him. But in the regular season, the Leafs were passing a lot more laterally where they would, they would try to pass around a goalie like this and into the net. And you didn't see that a lot in the postseason. Maybe it's because the space is condensed. The middle of the ice is more condensed. And maybe there's playoff goaltending, you know, goaltending styles that are more conducive to the playoffs. I'm just throwing random stuff out there well, now. Yep. And the and the Panthers, to their credit, defensively did a good job of of boxing out, right? Especially after all the success the Leafs had and in, in generating that kind of net front traffic and rebounds and tips in front of Vasilevsky. Even when Bobrovsky did let up bad rebounds in this series, the Panthers were generally tying up sticks, boxing out, kind of clearing the puck. I, I can think of very few times where the Leafs were able to, you know sustain sort of second and third opportunities in front of the net meaningfully. And that was, that looked much different than in round one. Um, Rob, there's a bunch of other topics I want to get to with you. Let's take our break quickly here while we still can. And then when we come back, we'll get into those. You're listening to the hockey PDO cast streaming on the Sportsnet radio network. Breaking down the top stories in hockey and Elliot Friedman every day. The Jeff Merrick show subscribe and download the show on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.
hour back here on the PDO cast with Rob Pozzola. Rob, let's do, well, I'm going to limit you to five more minutes on the Leafs here. And then we're going to do some, some league wide trends um, to close out the show. I don't know. Do you want to talk a bit about Sheldon Keefe and the coaching? Do you want to talk about Willie Nylander? I, I, I think both are sort of interesting topics here as we kind of put a bow on that series. I think they're kind of intertwined for me. Okay. So if I was going to make a move for the Leafs this summer, I'd fire Sheldon Keefe. I think he's been given enough leeway at this point with this core to get results that he hasn't gotten. Um, particularly with me, the things that bother me with Keefe is that there's certain guys that he obviously just trusts over others. And Nylander to me is a guy that I don't think he supremely trusts. And I think he should have a lot more trust in Nylander has been the most consistent playoff performer for the Leafs, in my Mm -hmm. opinion. Um, Especially when you consider he gets paid closer to the amount that Alex Kerfoot gets paid than he does to Austin Matthews and Mitch Marner. People need to put that into perspective when they talk about the core four. It's really a core three when you're talking about salary. Nylander's, you know, a little bit less, but I call him core four because of his play. But taking William Nylander off power play one, I don't know what the Leafs saw within that organization where they thought it was better to have O'Reilly, Tavares, Matthews, three centermen all on the ice at once. But this created a lot of situations in the playoffs where that power play one stays out for a minute and a half, minute 45, sometimes even the full two minutes. They do not have another center afterwards except for David Kemp. So David Kemp is getting the next shift after that power play. Guess who gets sent out on the wing with David Kemp? William Nylander. Well, that's great. I mean, you're putting him with guys that can't really produce offensively in Kampf and Lafferty. Most of the time, that shift is going to get, that line's going to get hemmed in their own zone, which is exactly where you don't want Nylander playing. Put him on the first power play. Like if you want, if you want to ride that three centerman, put Nylander out there, move Marner to power play too, because Nylander will do the same stuff as Marner on that power play, but he has a better shot. And on top of it, if Marner gets stuck on the ice after that power play too, he's fine with the fourth liners or anything like that. So I don't get that from, from the Nylander usage perspective. But for Sheldon Keefe, the thing that really bothered me for the over the course of the playoffs is we have it etched in our brain that the Paul Maurice, you know, five two or five one, the, the penalty calls mm-hmm. from from game one. And that's very subtle, but it went a long way in this series because I'm not going to be the Leafs fan that says, oh, you know, the officials didn't do their job or anything like that. But you took a a Florida Panthers team who committed a ton of penalties in the regular season and they got called for barely anything. Games three, four and five. Game five, Mark Stahl hit Mitch Marner so hard in the face with an elbow that he did like a 360 before hitting the ice in front of everyone and didn't even get called for that. And at some point, if you're Sheldon Keefe and you know, good coaches do this. John Cooper does this a lot. Lots of guys around the league, even when things are going their way early in a series from a penalty perspective, they can still swing it as, you know, we should have had more calls. Well, you you want to complain about the lopsidedness of the penalties? We should have had even more calls. It should have been even more lopsided. And I think Sheldon Keefe took the high road in a lot of the post-game situations this year. We've seen him in the past go off at times on refs after the game he went you know no comment i'll let the league address that and to me there's a game within a game that can really swing things even if it's marginal one extra penalty two extra penalties you can't tell me the panthers are going to go an entire game without committing a penalty like this is 2023 playoff hockey clutching and grabbing everywhere 
the winning goal, I mean, Radko Grudis literally grabbed Cali Yarncroke's stick and dragged him to the net with him. I mean, if there was ever a time, even after the game, just go off. Like, I'd like to see something, just something. There's some passion there. And like trying to get your team an extra call, bunting high stick, two minutes, you know, bleeding. You can't even give them a... a so I, I, I think that I, I was very disappointed in the, in the Keefe off the ice uh, postseason this year. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I wanted to... Uh to build off the Willie point you made, because I do think it is important. Like he gets lumped in with, with the top forwards in this discussion for various reasons. He makes about 60% of what the other three do. And was also just so far and away their best player in this series. Even, you know, he scored the two goals or whatever, but the big one uh, to keep their season alive and send it to overtime, certainly. But you're just watching that. Like he's got so much dog in him, Rob. Uh, Like he was so dominant in these five games. It felt like every time he was out there, Something good was going to happen. Every time he hopped over the boards, he had, at the very least, you know, all this talk about like, oh, these guys don't want it enough. They're 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 choking in the postseason and all this stuff. And 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 you know, that's obviously flawed for for various reasons. But in this case, with Nylander, it's like he visibly wanted the puck every single time he was on the ice. And sometimes we would just go and just just take it, even from like a teammate. Like there was one time in, in the Tampa Bay series where Luke Shen was carrying the puck up the ice, and he just went and he's like. This is mine. I'm going to do something better with it. I just took it from Luke Shen. And so he's been there consistently their most productive playoff performer during this era. He's also, I think, and tying this back to our conversation earlier in the show, clearly got a quality to his game that none of the other guys really do in terms of his ability to create with speed and carry the puck up the ice. And it's one that this team desperately needs more of. And I think would have helped benefited a guy like Austin Matthews a lot because for all the talk about he didn't score goals in this series, but he had a lot of chances well, his life certainly would have been easier with getting even more of those chances if he had a guy who could set the table for him in advantageous positions more often than he already had. And I don't know, I just, I, I wanted to praise Willie and not lump him in with whatever failures or shortcomings that other top players didn't produce in this series because it's just, they're two entirely different conversations. I completely agree with you. I mean, Keefe was very glued to Marner Matthews for the majority of the series. I don't know why, in particular, if they want to play with each other. So, you know, but Matthews Nylander were very electric together in the regular season. And I thought that there should have been times when they were out there together. But I, I agree with you. I mean, the thing with Nylander is a lot of the the diehards just don't like him because he plays like a softer style where he's not going to go in and try to win the puck in the corner by delivering a hit and pinning you in there. He's going to do it with stick work, but it works for him. And he's able to recover a lot of pucks like that. He's going to back away from a hit. He's going to do things like that that are going to drive like the old school hockey fans insane. But he's constantly around the net. People complain, oh, you know, he plays soft. He's in and around the net a ton mm -hmm. in front, nonstop. Like this is what he does. And um, I, I, you know, it'll be a shame if he's the guy that gets moved to, to just for the sake of moving a guy. Because I think he's been their, their most consistent playoff performer for years. Well, I wouldn't be remotely surprised if that were the case because, and he is the first domino to fall because it's a path of least resistance. He's going to command a huge pay raise next summer that they probably can't accommodate long-term. Uh, if Kyle Dubas is gone, he was his biggest fan and defender within the organization. And you can't really can't move the other guys, right? And so it's 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 tricky because while acknowledging that it's just difficult to envision 
a scenario where they're able to move them and be a better team for it next season. And in Austin Matthews' final year before he's a UFA as well, that's a very slippery slope to be trying to navigate. And so I think we're going to, we can move on here because I think we're going to have a lot of time for these conversations, right? Especially after the postseason's over and we get into all the offseason movement and speculation and stuff like that. So we'll save that for another day. But Okay, I've got a few trends here that I wanted to bounce bounce off you because you mentioned before I went to break about you know small sample sizes and postseasons and how much it bugs you and all that. What are we doing with the home road splits this season? Because a lot's been made of that, right? Thirty-one and forty-one record for home teams this postseason. You're shaking your head here. How are you feeling about it? Yeah, I feel like it's noise. Yeah, I do. I mean, uh, so I I model the NHL because I bet on it. I'm still including a home ice advantage and I'm just doing it over a longer period of time. I'm using a larger sample than this just this year. There's a lot of articles written this you know year about, oh, there is no home ice advantage. It's like, okay, let me bet every home team at plus 100 then if, if, you, if you really feel that way. Um, and nobody wants to take that bet because there is a, they, they, know, they know there's a home, home ice advantage deep down. Um, yeah, just random. Um, I, although you know, I did see that the Leafs before game five slept in a hotel. Uh, to mimic the road environment where they thought that they played better this year, which, I mean, I don't necessarily agree. They won games in Tampa. I don't know that they played all that well in the games that they won, but Hey, um, no, I, I just, I don't get carried away with that stuff. I, I think that's just random. You'd have to, you'd have to prove to me over many years that uh, it's not a thing before I would, I would agree with that or believe it. Yeah. One thing that that really bugs me is the lionizing of, pulling out victories in close games. Like I, I certainly think, well, first off a better team is probably more likely to win a higher percentage of those games anyways, but also yeah. I'm sure there are some qualities about your, you know, your roster composition and your big players stepping up and all of that and being, and being tied to goaltending in particular that might swing things in your favor in that regard. But, you know, while we're closing the loop on this Panthers conversation for now, this postseason, there's six and one in one goal games. They're four and zero in overtime, right? Mm -hmm. And I've already seen some of that being attributed to him, them having this specific quality that allows them to to buckle down and pull those types of games out. Should also note that in the regular season they were fourteen and thirteen in one goal games, pretty much as close to a coin flip as you're going to get. In games that went past regulation, they were six and eight, four and seven in actual overtime. Now you know that's a five minute format three on three it's certainly a different game schematically than playoff overtime like there's no doubt about that and all the pressures and everything between regular season and postseason like they're different different scenarios right but i think the point i'm trying to make is there's such a big element of luck in determining the outcomes of these games especially you know there's been a lot of blowouts in round two but for the most part the postseason is known for shrinking margins of errors kind of bringing everything back to the towards that idea of parity and how we get a lot of these coin flips and I get why we lionize it, right? Because it, it makes for cool playoff stories. But unless you're suddenly just suggesting that the Panthers in particular just suddenly discovered how to win these these types of games over the past couple of weeks, I mean, that would be awfully convenient timing on their part. But I just think it it's pretty much as close to a coin flip, as you mentioned, as you're going to get. When in doubt, use the betting markets as an indicator. The betting markets are the best indicator we have of the probabilities of things unfolding in a game. Because a lot of these markets have very high limits. Lots of people bet into them. It's just like any other market where, you know, sportsbooks profile players, they move lines based off of bets. And if you look at going into these overtimes, 
what the odds are, they're as close to a coin flip as possible. No matter who the teams are playing, you might get shaded towards, you know, game five overtime. The Leafs are minus 120 going into overtime and the Panthers are minus 110. There's a built-in VIG there that the sportsbook is keeping, but that's very close to a coin flip. And you see those odds very consistently over the course of the playoffs when games go into overtime. So, you know, do do it at home, right? Like flip six coins. And how many times you're going to get lots of times where you're going to get six heads or five heads. It happens. It's within the realm of possibility that that's going to happen. But we don't we don't like to explain sports in randomness. Mm. Nobody likes to do that. They like to feel like there's something that this team is doing that's yeah. causing it to happen. And I'm just wired differently. I think differently. It's probably because of the betting side of things for me. And you just have to th- learn to think probabilistically. Yeah. Well, and the playoffs are such a small sample size, right? Where if you do go 4-0 and in overtime games, you're going to make it to the conference finals. That's, that's how it works, right? And and you certainly shouldn't be apologizing for it. Uh, it's 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 good timing. Um, but yeah, we do like to attribute that to a, a certain like kind of inherent quality as opposed to what it actually is. Um, I don't know. Is there anything, any other sort of trends that have kind of caught your eye or, or interesting? We have a couple more minutes here, whether it can be prices, you know, think something I was messaging you throughout this postseason was like, it felt the market was so high on the Oilers and we're not going to talk about that series here. I'll save it for, for the show tomorrow, but every game they were being priced as pretty heavy favorites, even on, on the road against teams that in theory were, you know, fair counterparts for them should have been a coin flip, but the market was favoring them that way. And, uh, and, you know, after the, after round one, I believe them and the, and the Leafs were the two Stanley cup favorites, right? I had a very good round two of the playoffs uh, and from a betting perspective, and it was all counterintuitive to what I actually thought would happen. Cause I thought the Leafs would win. I thought the devils would win. I thought the Oilers would win. But when you get into the playoffs, Exactly like you said, Dimitri, you look at the odds for Edmonton and Toronto going into those series is, and they're essentially in the range of expecting those teams to win 65% of the time, if not more. And I just think that there's so much randomness in these series is that when you start to actually model that, you just don't get anywhere near those numbers. And on a per game basis, you watch the first couple games of the series. You're like, oh, these underdogs can play with these teams as well. And it you, you never really saw the market fully adjust to that. So uh, I'm with you there. I painfully, you know, I just tell a random story really quickly. But when Vegas was an expansion team, I made a bet with a friend of mine in Vegas, $10,000 bet that the Leafs would win a Stanley Cup before the Vegas Golden Knights would win a Stanley Cup. And every year I'm, I'm just sweating that bet. And I was in the prime position with young Matthews, Marner, Nylander, right? Like this couldn't have got better than that. And here I am again, another year another sweat just fingers crossed that vegas doesn't win the cup i love that all right rob this was a blast i'm gonna let you go here um quickly let the listeners know whether whatever you want to promote uh whatever you want to plug where they can check you out just let them let them know whatever yeah so i run a content platform called the hammer betting network if you're into betting check it out you can visit the website it's the hammer.bet or you can just check us out at on YouTube at the Hammer HQ. We do live watch-alongs of games from a, a live betting perspective, and we do cover all sports. And I do have an app as well called BetStamp. If you're into sports betting, you always want to find the best available line in the market. Download BetStamp on Android or iOS, or you can check out the site betstamp.app. All right, buddy. Well, this was fun. Uh, 
good luck with the rest of the postseason. We'll have you back on. Hopefully, once we get to the Stanley Cup final, maybe we'll have some stuff to, to parse and kick around. Uh, we'll be back tomorrow with more of the PDO cast, as always, streaming on the Sportsnet Radio Network.